Hey, if you got your Bibles, I just want you to do it. If you got your Bible with me, could you just like raise it up and let me know there's some people out there who actually still carry their Bible with them to church? Anybody out there? All right, listen, I just want you to know. I can't have favorites, but y'all just jump to that list real close. I'm just letting y'all know, all right? I really do encourage you. I'm not kidding. I don't have favorites. I'm just joking. But I really do encourage you to bring your Bible. Bring a hard copy of God's Word when we open it up to study it together. Y'all with me? Tonight, we're going to be looking at what sounds a little bit like a Christmas story, but it's looking at King Herod. King Herod was not there at the nativity scene, but he was there two years later after Jesus was born. That's when he was on the scene, and that's where we're going to read from Matthew chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, flip to Matthew chapter 2. We're starting a brand new series tonight called The King and His Kingdom. The King and His Kingdom. Because throughout Matthew, the way he writes the gospel, he's constantly talking about the kingdom of heaven. John the, ba- John the Baptist rolls in, he's like, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, throughout all of Matthew, is talking about the kingdom of heaven. And so we're going to do a, a, really a six-week series looking at the book of Matthew, looking at the true king and the true kingdom that he brings. So that's where we're going. And tonight, we're going to start off, give you the setting. It is literally two years after Jesus was born. He's two years old, around that or so. He's in Bethlehem with Mary and Joseph, the whole fam, and uh, that's where we're picking up, all right? So, Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says this, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of who? Oh, y'all got to say it louder. In the days of? <laughs> all right, that was like level 10. I appreciate it. All right, I just want you to know. King Herod. King Herod. Now, y'all are probably thinking, who's King Herod, right? King Herod was a ruthless king. He was known as King Herod I or Herod the Great. He was uh, the king over all of Jerusalem, but also all over, like, over all of Israel and all of the Jews that lived there. He was, he was the king over all. And this is what we know about him. He murdered one of his own wives. He murdered multiple of his sons. And he murdered many other people. Like, he was not a guy that I would say, like, hey, like, he's an awesome king. Let's invite him to Christmas this year. You know, like, that's not the guy on the list. He was a ruthless, tough king. And he was ruling over all of Israel. Now, this is a big deal because read what happens next. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, where King Herod was ruling. Verse 2 says, saying, this is what the wise men were saying to the, to the people in Jerusalem, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For, he, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. So you got King Herod who stands as the king over all of Israel. And all of a sudden you've got, check it out, in Jerusalem, you've got these wise men who've come from like Babylon or further over who come into the town of Jerusalem. They're saying, Where's the king of the Jews? The one that we saw. We, we saw the star in the sky and it's led us to search. Where's Jesus? Where's this king of the Jews? Why? Because there were astrologers who were looking to the skies often. And for two years this star stood over. And now they've been looking for where that star was from. Where that was leading to. And they're in search to find him. Now let me just tell you this. King Herod over here is the king of the Jews, and these people roll in and say, no, no, we're looking for the king of the Jews. 
but it's not you, Herod, it's someone else. How would that ruffle the feathers of King Herod? Y'all think it would? Like it would be a little dicey, a little awkward, like, uh, you know, but the real king, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, that'd be awkward, right? But that's the situation, that's the scenario. So the wise men say, we've come to worship him, but let's keep reading. What is Herod's response? Verse 3, when Herod, the king, heard this, he was what? He was troubled. That man was hurting in the heart, okay? And all of Jerusalem with him, meaning all the leaders in Jerusalem were with him, being troubled in their hearts. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he brings all these leaders in the, in the city together. He inquired, or he asked of them, where the Christ was to be born. And this is what they tell him. They said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, O oh, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For, you shall, for from you shall come a, what? A ruler, a governor, or as we know from the wise men, a king. Who will shepherd my people, Israel. Now that one little text, that one little quote about from from Bethlehem will come a king is like a puzzle piece to a far greater puzzle full of tons of other prophecies that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. He was going to be born and become the true king of the Jews. So this is what happened. You've got these wise men who were looking at the stars. They were seeing the stars, and that led them to sort through the Scriptures. And eventually the Scriptures led them to search for this Savior, Jesus, who is the Messiah King of all of creation. And they're looking for him to worship him. And Herod is not a big fan of this. So Herod starts to come up with a plan or a scheme to remove this challenge to his throne. Y'all, does that make sense? Y'all track with me so far? King Herod is in charge of Israel. Jesus, there's this prophecy that he's supposed to be the one in charge over Israel. He's the true king. And so Herod's like, well, i got to squash that thing so I stay in power. I stay on my throne. So plan A begins. Let's read. It says this. We do not, oh, sorry, verse 7. Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and he ascertained, or he gained from them, what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Does that sound like that's what he's going to do? No, no, he is lying, all right? But he's tricking them. He's saying, no, no, you... Go over to Bethlehem, you find out where this king of the Jews is, and I'm going to come, I'm going to worship him too. (laughs) Licking his chops, right? You know, he's got a scheme in place. And so what happens is, is that he has set up a plan in motion. He's going to secretly find out where Jesus is at and come squash this king, this Jesus guy. So what do the wise men do? The wise men, verse 9 After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. So the stars in the sky in Bethlehem, they're following it, searching for it. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. These guys are pumped. Check it out. Verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. The child is not referring to baby Yoda. It's talking about Jesus here, okay? Can you imagine walking into the house in Bethlehem and you see Mary with baby Jesus, two-year-old, you know, like playing with his Hot Wheels car, whatever he's got back in the day? I don't know. But like, could you imagine? 
And these wise men walk in, and they are excited. They are pumped. And look at what they do. This is so cool. Check out what they do. It says in verse 11, going into the house, they see the child, and they see Mary. And this is what they do. Number one, they fell down. Number two, they worshiped him. Number three, they gave him gifts. It says, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, probably many more than just that. And then it says, number four, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. I wrote down four things. This is just something simple, real quick. We're not going to stay here. But I put the wise men in humility, they honored Jesus. The wise men in humility, they honored Jesus. How did they do that? They came in and they bowed to the ground to honor Jesus. They exalted Jesus, who was two years old. They who humbled themselves before the exalted king. Number two. Man, the wise men in awe worshipped Jesus. Man, they were, they were enamored by how amazing Jesus was and how they had finally found him and how the prophecy were coming true in him. And all they could do was not to wait on tables and everything. All they did was just worship him. Number three, the wise men in love served Jesus. They came and they dropped gifts. They gave everything they had, the best that they had. They laid it at the feet of Jesus and said, this is for you. And then fourth, the last one is this. In faith, the wise men followed Jesus. You're like, whoa, where did that come from? Here's the deal. These wise men were searching. They were searching for the mysteries of the gospel to come and be found. They were searching for the true king. And they found Jesus. And it says, the last thing there, it says that they left and went home another way. And I believe that's more than just a physical, they went home another way. I believe in the same sense, these wise men left with a new perspective, a new heart, and a new creation before the God of all creation. Like, I believe they were changed by what they saw, who they encountered. Jesus changed their life. Now, that's a really great response to when Jesus shows up, the wise men fell on their face, they worshiped him, they served him with gifts, everything they had, and then they left different than who they were when they showed up. That's amazing. So Herod... His plan A has fallen through, right? These wise men are supposed to come back and give them some secrets and tell them where they're at. And they're going to lead a Mission Impossible mission to go take them out, right? So what does King Herod do? He moves on to plan B. And this is what it says in verse 13. Now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Oh, no, no, sorry. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Sorry, verse 13. Now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. He says, Remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. See, Herod has now escalated to what extreme he will go in order to protect his throne. See, there... The root issue where he at first murdered his sons in the previous life is now something he's doing again for another person who might be in jeopardy to take his throne. Herod is willing to kill someone to stop them from taking his throne. It says that Joseph and Mary and Jesus all fled to Egypt. The Lord warned them. Because here's the deal. It doesn't matter how much we plan or scheme or even King Herod thinks he can do, no matter how powerful or in charge he is, He was not going to be able to trump God's plans. He was not going to thwart what the Lord had planned. The Lord protected him. You see, Herod, verse 16, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise man, became furious. And he sent and killed 
all the male children in Bethlehem in all that region who were two years old or yonder. Like, can y'all believe this? The fact that Herod went to search this guy, couldn't find him, so he said, well, forget this. If I can't find him in the home, we're just going to obliterate every kid who is two years old and, who, two years old and younger. They're all, we're going to kill them. We're going to kill them. Now, let me just be honest. Like, doesn't that sound kind of crazy, right? But Herod knew this. He said, if I'm going to keep my throne, i got to do everything I can to stop that guy from taking it. Herod went to great extremes to keep the power and the freedom and the joys that he had in being the king of his own life. So, the question is, does he win? We all know it. Herod does not. If you continue to read in Matthew, it's going to tell you the next couple verses. It's going to say this. Herod dies. Along with his plans to keep the throne, he dies. And Jesus would go on to become what we know he is, is the true king, ushering in the kingdom of heaven. That's why it says in Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, being Jesus. Therefore go and make disciples, baptizing, teaching them to obey, all these things. And he says, Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That is someone who has all authority in heaven and earth. That is someone who is reigning on the throne. That is someone who is king. Now we'd be saying, okay, Corey, I get this, but what's, what's that have to do with me as a middle scorer here today? This is what I would propose to you students. We look at Herod like he's this horrible, horrible person. How could he kill babies? How could he hurt people? How could he be against Jesus? Why didn't he just lay down his throne for Jesus? Why did he try so hard to go so many extremes to stop him? I'll tell you this. I think that all of us have the same Herod within our hearts today. Think about it. Let's say that this is the throne of your life, okay? This is the throne of your life. This is where you get to make decisions. Whoever sits in this seat right here gets to decide what you do, who your friends are, what kind of person you're going to be, whether or not you cuss or don't cuss, whether you look at bad things that you shouldn't look at. Like this person right here is the king of your life sitting on the throne, and all of us were born kings of our own throne. I decide whatever I want to do. And even y'all may think Herod was crazy. I promise you, some of y'all today are looking at your mom and dad who are giving instruction. You're like, I'm a grown man or I'm a grown woman. I can do what I want. You can't tell me what to do. You can't say what I have to do. I'm not cleaning my room today. I'm going out. It's Friday night. Why can't I have my phone this weekend? Like, I mean, you list it. I mean, you want to be king, right? And I'm not trying to yell or get upset or mad. I'm just saying this. Man, imagine that this is the throne of your heart where you make the decisions for your life. Are you willing to give this up for Jesus? Are you willing to say, no, 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 like, Jesus, I know this has been my life for 12, 13, 14 years. I know it has been. I've been sitting in my own throne. I've been the king of my life. I decide what I want to do. Are you willing today to say, no, 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 like, Lord, I don't want to do that anymore. Like, I don't want to be the king. Like, what I do gets me in trouble, so I'm getting out of this. Jesus, would you come sit on the throne of my life? Would you make the plans for my life? Would you tell me what to say and not to say? Would you tell me the friends to be with and the friends not to be with? Like, I just want to honor you. 
You see, Herod went to great extremes to hang on to the throne, that no one would take it from him. And I would ask you students today, have you ever surrendered the throne of your heart, the throne of your life to Jesus? Have you ever just said, no, no, Jesus, you take it. I don't want it anymore. I'm tired of my mistakes. I'm tired of the kingdom I'm trying to build. I want your kingdom. I'm telling you, I could read through Matthew literally for the rest of the night, and I believe it would be honoring to the Lord. I've been reading just through the Sermon on the Mount. It says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I could go on and on through the whole stories, the testimony, the Sermon on the Mount, all of it, and tell you about the kingdom God wants to give, but it's not going to happen until you make him king of your life. Students, I would ask of you, have you ever had a moment where you said, no, no, Jesus, I give it to you. And if you haven't ever made the decision to follow Jesus, to give your life to him, I want you to know tonight you can do that. It is so simple. Just ask your leaders tonight in your discussion time about how to do that, and they will walk you through it. But I also believe there's a large number of you that would say, when I was eight years old, when I was nine years old, when I was six years old, when I was last year years old, whatever it was, I was on my throne, but I gave it over to Jesus, and I got saved. And now today, you're like, Lord, I'm trusting you. Whatever you say, man, whatever you say. And he says, hey, I don't want you gossiping anymore because you've been letting that lip slide a bunch. And you're like, yeah, yeah, no worries, no worries. I trust you. you you're the boss. You're the boss. And then you walk into school on Thursday, and you're like, did you see what happened? And you're like, yeah, it's crazy. When did you see what she was wearing the other day? I'm like, you just start gossiping. Or maybe it's over. You're like, no, no, like, he says, no, no, listen, Corey, I don't want you anymore to say those jokes you've been telling lately. I don't want you to do it anymore. All right, I don't want you to backtalk your family. You need to honor your parents. All of a sudden, I did something wrong, they take away my phone, and I'm grounded for the weekend. Man, this is ridiculous. So over this, this is, oh, what is my mom and dad thinking? I'm a grown man, you know? Like, what is that? How many times do we say, Jesus, you're on the throne, but wait, wait, not, not on Friday. You're like, I'm on the throne, you know? Or wait, wait, I'm hanging out with my friends, so like, I'm kind of like, I'm going to be on here. Like, you know what I mean? Maybe you have shifted from a place where you first were, when you first gave your heart to Jesus, you have shifted to a place now where you are compromising and taking the kingdom back. And guess what? You're missing out on the kingdom and the blessings that he has for you because you're not allowing the king of kings to be king of your heart. I want to bring someone out real quick. Abby Tilford, you out here? Come on, Abby. Abby has a story she's going to share a little quick of just something from her whenever she was a little bit younger, probably some of y'all's age group, a little bit older probably than that, but 
about a moment where she was wrestling with the throne of her heart. So, Abby, I'm going to yeah. give you the stage. Yeah, um, I was actually a senior in high school, and um, I was dating this guy, and it was not a God-honoring relationship, and I knew, like, very, I knew from the Holy Spirit um, that the Lord was asking me to walk away from that completely. Um, I had known this guy for a really long time, a really big part of my life, and that meant that my friend group would be split up and there would be tension and it was my senior year and I, I wanted it to be the best year ever. And, um, but the Lord was directly, I, I vividly remember him saying and knowing in my spirit, walk away. This is not of me. I have something better for you. Um, and I had gone to church my whole life like nursery on and just like probably a lot of you guys. Um, and so I knew, like I knew what the right answer was in that moment. But I had gotten to a point in just a year, like I had a life-changing experience probably six months before that. But in, in about six months, like a lot can happen. If you're, you start becoming lukewarm and, and I stopped really getting into the word and I started walking away and, and one decision led to another decision and, and that I, I became numb to the voice of the Lord, the creator, and, and I looked, I, like, it, it feels like in my memory that I looked him in the eye, I didn't, obviously, but I looked him in the eye and said, no, like, I, I want to do my own thing, I want to be on the throne, I don't want you on the throne, um, I talked to a friend, and I said, hey, I feel like I have this check in my spirit, what should I do, and she said, well, it kind of sounds like the only option is, like, it's God, the creator of the universe who knows you better than you know yourself, and I still was like, no. Like, it, sin had such a hold on my life, y'all. Um, and, I, and I looked at the throne, and he, and he gave me two paths. Um, and I chose the one where I was in complete control. And I can tell you for sure, just like Corey's talking about, I can tell you 100% now when I'm, it is hard, and I'm saying yes to the Lord, and I'm saying yes, Lord, the whole time. It is difficult. But the blessing and the peace that I have in my life, as opposed to that dark time where it, it, I was lukewarm, like, is, is day and night. And eventually, he put himself on the throne for me. He, he demands the throne. He's king. He is the creator of the universe, and, and he knows that being on the throne is better than me. He knows what's best for me. He knows what's best for you. Um, he knows you better than you know yourself. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was a very pivotal moment in my walk with the Lord where I can remember, yeah, I was given two options and I chose no. But I know looking back now that when I did choose no, that now whenever I choose yes, I know this, this will bring me peace. This will bring me closer to the one who created me. That I know as much as in my heart I'm like, no, Lord, I don't want to do X, Y, and Z. Or I don't want to say no to X, Y, and Z. I know that this is going to bring me peace in my heart, and that's going to bring me closer to you. I would just tell you guys, uh, and we'll go to groups right after this. When you surrender your life to the Lord, it's not compartmentalized to just Sundays or different things. It really is your whole life. And it can be easy. It can be easy to slip in between Sunday and Wednesday, or Wednesday and Sunday, into a spot where you're like, well, I'm really not trusting the Lord or even asking the Lord what he wants me to do. I would just invite you to this. Will you invite Jesus in and ask him, what do you want from me? 
What does the king want of his humble servant? I will approach you like the wise man, not like the fool, Herod. You know? So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to turn over to our group leaders, and I'll encourage you, if you want to talk more about what it means to be saved or what it means to really give life to Jesus, man, talk to one of your leaders tonight. They will help you walk through that. But then also talk about in your group about how you can surrender the, the throne of your heart with, with the Lord. And so your leaders should have breakout questions there to talk through. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for today. I thank you for these students. And I really do pray more than anything else, Lord, that you would reign in the throne of their hearts as they look at their life, as they look at what they're doing and what they're being and, and how they're talking and what they're looking at, all those things. Would they just filter it through the question of, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Here is your servant. I'm ready to obey. You name it. I pray that prayer for these guys tonight. I pray you bless our group time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.